You know what that sound means. It's time for another episode of The Motherfucking Biscuit. Thanks for tuning in, animals. Crack your little bats, pack your bongs, do whatever you guys do. Uh, you know, it's time to party. I'm uh, happy to be back. <clears throat> and uh, before we get into the episode with Mike Scroy, I just got a few things I'd like to talk to you people about. Um, I just want to thank you guys for listening, tuning in, subscribing, rating, and reviewing. Um, show's been going on. We're almost at 200 episodes, and I appreciate you guys. You're the best listeners, best fan, not even fan base, just best fucking people to be around. You know where to come the best fucking, to find the best hockey podcast there is. You know, no pink vodka here, just fucking parties and fucking good times. And, uh, you know, I, uh, I, I really appreciate it. Um, I wanted to give a shout out to Shane Guilfoyle and the History of Hockey Podcast. He just had his 100th episode um, and he's a guy who, you know, has been around since I started and, uh, I love his show and uh, I'm, I'm proud he's at a hundred and, um, it's no easy task to get to a hundred episodes. This fucking podcasting shit is not as easy as it looks. So shout out to him and keep up the great work over there. Uh, and you know, speaking of great work, let's talk about hairless ape conspiracies. Um, shout out to the boys. They recently got shadow banned on Instagram for putting up a post about meat. So that's pretty badass. <clears throat> but they are my oldest and you know definitely one of my favorite sponsors uh been working with them for a few years now head over to hairlessapeinc.com use the promo code biscuit10 to save yourself 10% off um i know everybody's probably you know hurting in the pocket but if you can go help you know support a veteran owned and veteran operated company also go check out warroad.com i am an ambassador for that hockey brand owned by tj oshi and uh they're always running sales and they have some high quality uh hockey apparel over there so go check out warroad.com also check out cleveland kraut the best in fermented food in the world i know you guys have been hitting me up on instagram some people who have found cleveland kraut at their grocery stores and tried it and uh you know the consensus is there it's the best best sauerkraut in the world shout out to clevelandkraut.com and if you guys do put up a picture just tag the biscuit and tag them too and let them know that we sent you there i appreciate it and i appreciate everyone over at parkersplatoon.org um scott parker the stanley cup champion and his wife and kid uh, dj and francesca have a nonprofit organization to help one veteran at a time uh, specifically uh, wounded combat veterans and uh, they do great work over there and scott is one hell of an american and as always we are brought to you by hockeyfights.com that's hockeyfights.com where you go to watch hockey fights and as you read in the description of the show today's episode is with mike scroy fucking pumped let's do it now Kroger, 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 got the right hand he's loose with the right hand and he starts to retaliate and down goes nylon and the two of them are hammering each other. Knights of Columbus, that hurt. It's old time hockey, the way you're supposed to play. You throw a little lumber if a guy gets in your way. You play like Oriol, already fucking sure. We can't all be Gretzky's, the muser Bobby Orr's. The enforcer of all hockey podcasts. It's the biscuit. It's the biscuit. The enforcer of all hockey podcasts. God help the fucking day if fighting's ever banned. There's a country will stop working on so bad it's fucking canned. Hi everybody, it's the Biscuit Podcast. Hey, you wanna go? Yeah, okay. Good luck, man. Good luck to you too, buddy. I fear no man that bleeds. The only thing I'm afraid of is losing. One of my favorite quotes in hockey history, and the gentleman, <laughs> the gentleman who said those beautiful words, is here today. He's got hundreds of points through his career, more pims than my caveman brain can count. He's a champion, a father, a teacher, a badass. One of the the best badasses in hockey history, Mike Segroy. Man, how are you doing, brother? Wow, the hell of an introduction, man. Thank you. Thanks, brother. Thanks. How's everything down south, man? Yeah, for anyone who doesn't know, you do uh, 
you usually do, you know, training on ice, and then you also run camps out of your garage, correct? Yep, yep. I have, uh, I got a handful of different places that I, that I work and I, I teach at, but I have, uh, I have a little studio with synthetic ice in my, uh, in my garage, but I do a lot of individual one-on-one training, and then obviously I have the hockey side, and I, uh, I coach at one of the top mixed martial arts gyms in the world, Fusion and Excel, too, so. Nice, man. Now, uh, when did you get the fake ice in there, and do you like it? Do you ever... Can you skate on it, or it just the, the has the feel for the puck? Yeah, I haven't done it yet because it's just I really just like the consistency of how the puck moves on it. So um, most of our life, I haven't really, I don't really want to chew it up. You know, I got yeah. Uh, you know, I got a hundred kids to, to come in and out of here. So, uh, but apparently you can. So I'm thinking about giving it a shot this summer. Yeah, um, be like sl- I don't want to chew it up too bad because it was donated. Uh, how to like twenty bucks a tile for. I was going to say you get some, you know, you ruin a few tiles. It's going to be very expensive to replace it, I would think. (laughs) Yeah, my nephew uses a shooting pad and really enjoys the feel for it. I we just go out in the garage and shoot off the cement, but it's something I got to look into for my kids as they start to get older and further their career. The shooting pad is where we started. We started the shooting pad. You get the long ones. So do you like the feel for it, of it? It's the closest thing that, that, that I've seen so far to realize, you know, like you got the sick handling ball, you got, um, you know, the, the, the garage surfaces, you got the, the thin workers carpet that, that works a little bit, but the closest thing that I've seen that, that is the synthetic ice for the consistency of how the puck moves. So now, it's the closest thing for my students that I can represent real, real things happening. And how long have you been working with uh, the youth and training kids and uh, all that? Like the, nearing the end of my career. So when I was, I would say probably about 30 years old, about you know, 10, 12 years ago, I started. I mean, uh, besides my father, I've only wanted to be like one person. It was a guy by the name of Tony Cattali. He's my mentor, my best friend. Um, and this, is, this is what he does. And, and I'm following in his footsteps. So uh, about 10 or 12 years ago, I wanted to, I wanted to sort of dive into it a little bit, start getting some students, and um, and then about halfway through that time, I really picked it up in the high gear and figured out that, that this is something that I could be really good at. I have an attention to detail. I understand a lot of a lot of concepts in sports in general. So no matter, I, I have lacrosse players, I have world class lacrosse players, and your wrestlers, uh, you name it. So across the board, I found a I found a home for what I'm going to do the rest of my life after hockey. Now you said your your father did that when you were growing up. No, I I too. So I have Tony Cacali. Okay, that was it. Yeah. But the two the two men. You know, I've only had two role models my entire life. Those I who I am today is a mixture between those two people, what they've taught me, and the influences that they've had on me. Now was he just a coach you had at a young age? Yeah, he kind of pulled me out of a out of a dark spot. Cacali got me when I was seventeen. He was a one of million national titles. So did you get in trouble as a young kid? <laughs> did you get in trouble as a young kid? Were you fighting or something? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I was, uh, I was just, I had, I got, anybody that knows me well knows how much just natural passion that I have for life. Some of that turns into aggression too, but I just, I'm such a passionate guy and if I don't have anywhere to put it, you know, and, and that's confusing at a young age, especially when the shit all hits your puberty, right? Oh yeah. So I got a whole large dose of testosterone and passion. <laughs> uh, you know, more than more than most. I mean, I'm 42 years old right now, instead of 42, and, and you know, it's not really slowing down. So I got to find I have to find outlets for that. Well, no, you're I still fucking. Man, that at a young age. You're so. so fucking jacked to the gills, dude. I, you look better than me, and I'm 33. <laughs> oh, I'm. I'm more down to uh, light heavyweight right now. <laughs> what are you weighing these days? About you're, are you under 200? I'm, two, I'm 210 right now. I'm, Damn, I, son. I don't, I don't live. My, my whole day is a workout, just training everybody else. So I, it's more of a, a – my body's more geared toward endurance now. Yeah, dude. I, I was 
last year I was creeping up to 250, but not like a good 250. And I was like, I gotta <laughs> do something, dude. So I'm down to 225 now, just from changing my diet and just kind of stretching and doing shit with the kids. Just kind of staying like instead of eating and sitting down, I'll you know go for a walk or go shoot pucks in the garage or something, man. I was like, I'm not buying. Make a routine if you want it to work. You want it to work. Yeah, when my fat clothes became my regular clothes, I was like, I gotta shut this shit down, dude. (laughs) Now, uh, so you get in trouble. Does this guy is that he would work with troubled youth, and then he got you in skates? I know you're a Canadian kid, Uh, so he's the kind of guy. Like he's the he's the kind of guy that you know they make movies out of. You know, like the Remember the Titans kind of dude. Yeah. He had, he had national championship teams, but he, he didn't get he didn't get his players handed to him on, on a platter. This guy would pick, you know, I, I'm a perfect example. He's got a thousand more kids like me. You know, I'm, I'm, we're obviously extremely close, him and I. But my story is echoes throughout his entire career of people going, "Don't fucking take that kid. He's a head case. He's not any good. He's you know this, that, the other." And he'll just see shit in people that other people don't see. You know, telling people that I was going to get a Division One scholarship, I think people choked on their fucking tongues when he told them that, <laughs> you know, when I was 17 or 18 years old. He said, that kid's going to play D1 hockey. Guys, coaches, reputable coaches, literally choking on their tongues laughing. So, well, you know, thank God for guys <laughs> like that who see, in, you know, he's not going to get 100%, but, I mean, even if he got 10, that's good that, that kids – that have been given up on still have someone who can see something in them. And then you have success cases like yourself, you know, you go and play for, you know, decades of professional hockey. Well, the, the devil's in the details. I know it's a cliche line, but you gotta love something to, to be able to see details. And that, that dude, just like I, I'm loving this. I'm loving exactly the same thing that he loves about it. And he just loves doing it. So he's going to pay attention to the details. Once you get the details and you iron them out, you can see those things, you care about shit. Then you're going to end up being successful. So that's that's where it all is. Because some people are just going to see something and run and throw it away. You know, you might you might take an extra couple of seconds. You know, looking you know looking through some yeah, things slip through the cracks all the time, man. It's great to have guys that have that extra eye. You know, that eye for talent or that eye for work ethic or whatever it may be. So. Well, what I mean, it's that other cliche saying. You know, when when talent doesn't work hard, you know, hard work beats talent. That's true. It's also potential, though, too, because you got to look at somebody's story. You know, sometimes, from what I'm finding out, a lot of times, obviously, big guys are, that's not, I'm not telling anybody anything new, but very tall, taller kids are later bloomers. You know, also, you can look at a kid's maturity, even his background, and, and look and see how he came up. Um, you know, I, I can't tell you how many times in all sports, whether it's fighting, hockey, football, where it's like, oh, you see this kid, oh, that kid sucks, oh, not anymore, he doesn't. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like that's because the kid found some sort of maturity or some some work ethic or clicked somewhere along the lines. Or people hit those strides at different times in their life, and sometimes yeah. you can smell that. You know, you can see oh, it's coming for this kid. You know, all of a sudden they're instead of fucking off with you know shitty friends that they're, they're spending that extra hour in the gym or whatever it may be. But you know, you can smell it on you know you can smell on people that don't want it and want that success. You know, especially young men, because I, I, I mean, I was soft and doughy through junior high, and you know, a lot of my coaches were like, "Yeah, whatever, go, go play." I played football, go play tackle or whatever, and you know, and didn't really give me a chance. And then you know, one summer I grew five inches and got up to six four, and you know, everyone changed their light about me, and I kind of had a chip on my shoulder about it, like, "Oh, you guys didn't give a shit about me when I was just some kid," and I, I played that way. I played nasty like that. Well, that's, I mean, and it's a good lesson to learn about sports that they just don't give a fuck about you. Like, they, your teammates hopefully will if you have a good team. But when it comes to coaches, management, all that kind of, not coaches, coaches, especially at younger ages, need to care about their players. But pretty good, uh, pretty good le- lessons there. <laughs> you're pro sports and, you know, you're a piece of meat for a, a lot of that time. So Definitely, definitely. Good life lesson to learn early. Now, did, when you when this coach got a hold of you, was it the training you liked? Was it the game of hockey you liked? Was it everything involved? Were you watching tape? Were you just absorbing everything and going, "Shit, this is I, I can oh, I can God, dig this. No, I can I focus on this." You ever had? I swear to God, he absolutely tells stories about how ridiculous I was. He just knew that he could channel that. You know, my my family. I come from a, a people don't know the family I come from. I come from a very very intelligent academic. <laughs> it's, it's uh, we're, we're all fiery Italians, but 
you know, uh, my sister's, you know, was running one of the biggest banks in the EU. Uh, I did baccalaureate her whole life. My mother translated for the Italian consulate. My, my father is, a, you know, millionaire businessman. I got a lot of smart people around me that didn't know how to deal with that kind of energy. You know, so Tony saw that, Kakali saw that energy in me and right away was like, dude, we're going to turn you into a fucking power forward or a fighter. Like, that's, that's what, that's who you're supposed to be. What? And it changed my life. It kind of, you know, it kind of rings true to like the Tyson story. Like he was a lost kid and like until yeah. I forget the name yeah. of the coach found him and it was like this. Yeah. He, he saw me. He's like, he's like the way he looked at boxing. He's like, oh, I can do something here. This kid's got that that X factor. Yeah. In fairness to Tyson, my story's not that fucking rough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They really loved me. They treated me well. I don't know where the fire comes from. But, you know, Tyson had a bit rougher road. But, yes, it's the same thing when you have a – basically a mentor or a coach to see something in you and, and, and pulls you pulls you aside and, and really just able to connect. I'm a, I'm a very complex human being. I really am. Uh, I've got tons of complexities about me, so it's very, very tough for me to connect with a lot of people. At a younger age, I know how to do it now that I'm older, but shit, on those ways, just because I had some very confusing years on my way up. So. Oh, oh, yeah, man. Oh, yeah. And, dude, last night I was watching uh, Tyson fights out in the living room. The kids were sleeping, and my, my wife was sitting there watching with me. And she goes, did he have a good childhood? And I'm like, I had to pause it. And I'm like, okay, sit down and listen to this for a second. The I'm like, first thing that tips you off. I'm like, imagine the worst childhood ever. And I'm like, well, here we go. This is going to be two hours of me explaining this kid's shitty childhood. And he, for even how, it's a miracle he even turned out alive, to be honest with you. Of course. Of course. Now, uh, you know, no growth without struggle on my wall you know no growth without struggle you're not you're not building you're not building lions if you're if you're uh if you're in your comfort zone yeah absolutely you know i think it made me you know you know just to make it personal here like you know when i did you know start varsity as a sophomore i was kind of like fuck you to everybody all the parents had written me off because i got uh in trouble myself you know as a freshman i got you know suspended for a year for i got caught drinking and that was the rule. I mean, I knew the rule. I got caught. I, I did my time. I went to practice every day knowing I couldn't dress. And I went and I worked my ass off. And I was like, I'm going to play fucking varsity next year, period. Well, that's the energy you got to let. You got to let that fire you up. And unfortunately for me, that was also my undoing. That exact mentality right there is what got me every inch of success in my life. It also was the reason I'm not playing in the NHL. I didn't play in the NHL. Anybody that's seen me play know that I have the tools. Um, again, I'm, try- I'm not trying to be arrogant or whatever, but I, I can play a little bit. I'm, I, I can put I can put a few home. I, got, I, didn't, get a scho- I didn't get a scholarship because I could fight. You know what I mean? Like, right. So I get 15 juniors because I was, you know, but uh, the, the point is, is that I, I wanted to buck everybody's thoughts. I was like, I can play. You guys don't have a fucking idea. I'll kick your ass while I do it, but watch me. I'm going to play too, and I'm going to do all this stuff. And, um, what happened is, is I wasn't able to identify later on in life. You know, obviously I take, you know, Tony, I listen to everything you said, but I wasn't able to, to conform enough to the way hockey, you know, I, I didn't get to say, I wasn't able to mature quick enough uh, from, from just, I'm going to do it my fucking way because that's the way that it's worked and no one else believes in me. So fuck you guys. I wasn't able to, I wasn't able to conform quick enough. I did a little too late. Uh, where I really started being the, the proper team guy that I needed to be and the proper coachable guy, um, but it did take a decent amount of time for my career for me to for me to mature in that way. Well, that's so. interesting you say that, Mike, because at that level, when you know when you're playing in the AHL at a very young age and you're you're doing well for yourself, you know, like you said, you're dropping fifty in juniors, and there's a game inside that game because there's, I mean, there's a lot of talented guys trying to get in the NHL, right? So they're, they're yeah. looking at different things inside of that with inside of that. So it's like, that's interesting that, you know, that you have the foresight now to go, fuck, if I would have just played ball a little bit, but and then you wouldn't beat Mike Scroll, you know? Well, it was, and that, you said it perfectly right there. And I wouldn't have changed. The only thing that I would have changed was how open I was about, about being a different crazy uh-huh. thing, like, I didn't care. I was I was gonna do what I was gonna do. I was gonna go out. I was gonna drink. I was gonna party, and I was gonna bring it the next day in practice. And if I had a game that night, I was gonna fight my ass off. And I was gonna do it, and I did. But it's, 
that's hard to make the NHL Buddy. Oh, dude, that's you know, fucking like, funny. You know, shit, you know? And, uh, and please, none of that, none of that drug, just putting that up, and none of that drug, none of that shit like that. I just, I was a wild man with, with the with the booze and the girls and staying up late, and, but uh, never any drugs or whatnot. But still, I, I was a bit of a wild man with some of the stuff like that, and I uh, paid the price for it. Did you ever, did you ever feel any resentment towards you from guys in the room who couldn't, you know? Couldn't go out and drink and then show up and and still play because I felt that way sometimes. That guys got. Everybody went out and drank, brother. Oh hell yeah, dude! Some hell yeah. Others, but not like today where they're drinking their protein shakes. I mean, dudes were. Uh, you know, I wasn't from the the seventies and eighties era where they were playing drunk half of them. <laughs> you know, but uh, but you know, there's you know I went out all the time. Uh, you know, the first half of my career, I was out almost every night. So you're so, telling me in, in uh, New. I, I switched the cards. Uh, So, so you're, you're telling me in 2000 in New Orleans, you guys aren't staying home in the hotel every night? Yeah, I was a rookie in New Orleans. <laughs> <laughs> I was a rookie pro player in New Orleans, playing with, with one best friend, Ryan Fultz, you know, on a team back when they used to load the team with veterans and only have a handful of young guys, you know, like, it's just, you know, what do you want this thing to <laughs> The train's going off the rails at some point. <laughs> well, it's it's like uh, so, it, it's something I'm I say. Out of bars in New You know, that's what you, a lot of interviews or people who talk about you, they're like, you know, some guys like to go take a nap or like the kids now play Fortnite or whatever. You're punching the bag or, you know, you're, you're always moving, always, you, you don't sit down unless you're playing cards. And that's what people, and the cards for me was so, because every hand is focused, like it's a really good game for my attention span because you can be involved. Um, even if you don't have good hands, you can be involved if you're, if you're paying attention to the right players. Again, details. So, um, but again, you know, so, and I'm not saying there's definitely, a, there's definitely, definitely, a, you know, an argument, you got to be healthy, you have to take health seriously now, you absolutely have to, you have to be able, you have to understand vegetables, you know, there's so many things that you have to understand, but what's being lost in this generation is that mental toughness. So I'll tell you, I'll tell you a good Catali story. I tell this to some of my some of my students. When I first got signed with Dallas, I didn't get signed with Dallas. I was just a, I played a United League the year before. I was uh, I took my lumps my first year in the East Coast League and then played in the United League, and that's when I started scoring some goals and dropping some bodies. So in between, and Dallas didn't really have too much of the tough guys. They had Aaron Downey, who was good, legit, great guy, good fighter, but that's all they had. They didn't really have anybody in their minors, you know. So. Um, they actually wanted Erskine to play a little bit more, I remember. But, uh, but Kutali got me onto a, it was like a summer skate with Mike Madano, Brett Hull, Trevor Daly. It was just a, a bunch Damn. of the Dallas guys that were, because he, he coached the Texas Tornado, so I would go to Dallas and train in the summers. So he said, while Mike's here, he had, a, he had an ear for, to the Dallas Stars, right? So he said, while Mike's here, why don't you let him come out and play and let him show you guys, that he can play. I mean, it's just a pickup skate, but you're going to be able to see that this kid has skill. Uh, send you his fight videos. He'd already sent him my fight videos. Like, the kid can strap. That's back in the old United League with Marty Melnichuk. And, you know, we had some we had some real tough boys back in those jungle jungle miners. Oh, yeah. So, anyways, he goes, okay, you got to skate tomorrow at 8 o'clock in the morning, Mike. So, I was like, all right, cool. Fucking nice, coach. Like, I love you, man. Thank you for doing that for me, man. So, I'm, I'm just so happy you know, I'm ready to go to bed. It's 10 o'clock at night. And this was my first big shot. He comes into my room with, like, nice clothes on. And I'm like, Coach, what's up, man? Where are you, where are you going, man? What's that big day tomorrow? He's like, put your shit on. 
That's got my fucking blood going, dude. That's a badass story. Dude, that this guy should fucking write a book, man. Oh, that's that's one of many, my brother. Dude, that's that's a, I love that fucking mind like mind game shit, dude. That that gets I'm excited now, man. I'm ready to go. Yeah, it's not that it's not that fucking bad cock mindset shit either, right? Oh, dude. Like, fucking with you like you feel bad shit. It's that stuff where you Yeah, the, the stories you hear about Babcock, oh, I'm sorry. The stories you hear about Babcock, it seems like the dude was just a dick and, like, didn't want you to succeed. It's like, it seems like the opposite with this guy. Yeah, again, I, I played for him just for a couple of weeks. I got sent down and played for him. Um, I, it was a horrible experience. He was, I got into a fucking toe-to-toe battle where I was bleeding with this other dude. We were punching each other in the face. And um, when, I, when he sent me down, he said, like, yeah, great, you know, kind of a good fight. He didn't, like, win or anything. And I was like, fucking serious really really want to play for you now but that's he, he, he everything with him is a mind game for each and every human being and i've just been told that for so many people that have played with him plus my own experience and i just you might be able to you might be able to get some success for a year or two but just like a michelle Terrian or whatever they're going to quit on people will quit on you eventually if you if you behave that way as a coach or a leadership position did you go to camp with babcock where did you have him situation too like i could have won with some of those fucking red wings teams like you know what i mean <laughs> yeah he got, he got handed off some pretty nice shit so and, you know i guess like it's not from michelle terry who was very much like that he's a really good coach but he challenges people too much so at first you're gonna respond because you don't want to get fucked with or whatever like that next but like i think he's the only coach to ever get fired after his team made it to the semifinals of the made it to the finals of the stanley cup Lost by like a half an inch with six seconds left to go in the final game. How and much do you would you think halfway through the next season and they won the Stanley Cup? Like that's the kind of shit that happens with coaches like that. Right. How much do you think star player guys in the rooms have an effect on if an owner keeps a coach around? Like if they're unhappy, do you think like say like the the I call them the brats there in Toronto, do you think they had a big say in Babcock getting out of there? Yeah, I mean today's today's day and age, yeah. I mean I I absolutely hate that mentality. One of the reasons I can't stand Eichel because he got his first year he bad mouthed his coach and got him fired as an 18 year old first year in the NHL. 
Like, I don't like that players are starting to run the show a little bit more than, you know, I mean, there has to be a balance, but I think it's a little bit too much on one side now, you know, I'd like, you know. Do you so, think? Do you think that comes from them coming? Do you think that comes because a lot of these kids now there is no minors for them? They're going straight in and playing at eighteen and nineteen. They did not that they didn't have to work for it because yeah, they're super talented. But there's more of an appreciation, like uh, just to, you know, sometimes in a room when you're younger, you know, to sit there and be quiet and absorb from the younger guy of the older guys and kind of you know how to maneuver a locker room. It seems like you told me, man. I agree. That's, and that's the direction the game has taken is just basically become this young this young game right now it's, it's full of skill um, and it, these guys can do shit with the pop and move their feet like I've never seen but holy shit the stick checking and then there's no I don't know it's, it's obviously not the same game as it used to be but I really believe that that's because they've developed it to be that way Yeah. where it used to be like four or five young guys on the team and then, you know, 15 dudes that have played in the NHL, like the American League, the developmental leagues, so that young guys can learn from those guys. But, I mean, for the last 10 years or so, it's throw as much wet noodles against the wall and see what sticks now. And I think that that oversaturates things with skill because you don't get an idea of how to battle or, or sacrifice for a fucking championship because you're just a young guy trying to score goals top shelf. You know, I don't know. Yeah, oh no, I mean, oh. and it's working to a point until the playoffs, and then big boy hockey comes back, and, you know, and it, then, it, then it's time I was, where... Uh, I was a local genius for my prediction last year in Tampa, so, and I actually thought they'd go, they'd go to the uh, semifinals this year, but I told everybody, I watched them all year, my son loves them so much, and I said, they'll lose in the first round by a, by a large margin, that's not playoff hockey, Bro. they play, and they got swept, and now they went out and got some, some, some tougher players, some guys that may not scoring million goals in the regular season, but come playoff time, they got some guys now that can do can do some stuff here. Oh yeah, fucking so, wild. They go out, they get Maroon. You know, Wachowski was with yeah, them in the beginning of the season. Big one. Shattenkirk was around for a bit. Uh, what you would call it? Uh, my son. Oh my god. It feels like forever that I haven't watched Lightning now. <laughs> oh, I know. It seems like th- there's no hockey ever again. I'm like, fuck. What? The season's, know. you know, technically not over, but it seems like it's been a year since I've seen it. There's been some rumblings that there could be some June, July stuff coming back. So, oh, is that what you're hearing? I'm, I'm hearing that they they're going to try to finish the season in July. It's July first, they're going to try to. I, I don't know if they're going to go right into the playoffs or what, but I'm I'm hearing they're trying to squeeze it in. Well, that was so, my next question. If you if you had heard if they're going to try to do, I I I think if it comes back, there's no way they finish the regular season. I think it's going to be some kind of weird play in playoffs, and then here we go. Yeah, I wouldn't. I mean, I wouldn't. This has never happened, so who the fuck knows what they're going to do, right? So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, definitely. Now, um, some of the kids that you have, you know, coming into into your camps and, and you're working with, do because I, I agree with you with the game. It, it seemed like at one point, you know, it went too far, and, and you know, they were getting, they weren't liking the, you know, the square off, drop them without, you know, the game starting fights. And then now it seems like it's gone too far where yeah. they want all the this. They want all, overcorrection. Yeah. We, yeah. We like that in this country. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Fucking A, right? <laughs> it goes from like you know, one extreme um, to the I, next. I kind of almost agree with it a little bit. And here he thought, again, I don't, it's not the enforcer that they had to take out. They needed to, they needed to reform it. And they just wasn't, there's too there's so much money. It's so difficult to do on your on your brain and your body, and we're seeing that when these guys are dropping. You know, it's horrible to watch how many guys die and whatever. Right. You got to be some guys. There's a spot for guys that have a little bit of a screw loose for this job, but there's also people who are always like, "Oh, it's head trauma, this, that." You know, they're talking about guys with head trauma that they don't understand that those guys were on painkillers every single day for ten years. There's just too many variables to point fingers. At things. Right. Exactly. That's what I know for a fact, though. If you don't love to fight, you're going to end up fucked up at the end of your career. I know that for a fact. If you're just a big guy that kind of wanted to be a, a hockey player and they said fight or you don't make you, uh, I was saying again, if you, if you don't love to fight, you're you're screwed afterwards. Because it's not the head trauma that you're taking. It's the mental preparation of fighting for your life three times a night. This is what nobody talks about. You want to talk about one of the biggest the biggest things that affect 
fighter in his health, in his mental health, in his brain, in his body. It's not even the fights. It's the, uh, again, every single night. You gotta box somebody or fight somebody in MMA, which is an extremely difficult sport, it's an extremely difficult thing to do as a one-time thing. My fight June 15th, I'm gonna go six weeks without doing this, 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 I'm gonna drink like an animal afterwards. Whatever you do, you know that's gonna be your night. When you're an enforcer, every every game, you might be fighting, you might get carried off in the stretcher. Every time you step on the ice, if the other team has a heavyweight, you have you run the risk of the other team putting that dude out and you having to fight for your life. And that is something that weighs so heavy on the minds of people. Unless you love to fight. Like guys like Trevor Gillies and me, and I know there's a bunch of others that just love to do it. So we'll take our lumps, but at the end of the day, we're going to end up okay. Man, that is... That is a point that is not being said enough. Like you said, no one's talking about that because it makes sense too. If you ended up retiring and doing something that you didn't want to do just for something that you loved, that's going to wear on you too. That's going to play with your your brain as well. And then then well, the you took a beating. You love hockey, but you, you might you might have done it because you love hockey. Like a lot of big boys get pushed in. Like six six, you can't play with these guys. Better fight somebody. Next thing you know, you're fighting because you love the game. It's, you're really good at it because you're big until you get to the American League and now everyone else is really big. Now you're wearing some shots and now that's what you do for a living. And fuck, right? Oh, yeah. Dude, that's so. fucking, yeah. That makes perfect sense, man, because that's why there's guys, and, you know, I always say there's camps of enforcers. You know, there's the guys who love to do it like yourself. There's guys who are good at it, who are reluctant, and then there's the guys who just wanted to stay in hockey and did it completely out of necessity. Absolutely. I mean, and those guys generally don't last too long unless they're the size of Bugard, you know, or the size of McIntyre, because you, you, with no bobbing and weaving, if you figure out how to dig in those those skates, you figure out how to string guys out, and you're 250 plus, 66 plus, you're going to have a lot of, you're going to have a lot of room to figure it out, <laughs> to not get hit. Like you're, you're, if you figure it out at a certain age where you figure out your balance, put down the pipe, you figure out your timing, you're going to have only a handful of people that are going to be able to feed you your lunch, and that's only going to be at the top level. Size makes a huge difference. Was Bugard yeah. the biggest guy you ever grabbed with? What's that? It was Bugard the biggest guy you ever scrapped with, you think? Uh, Fritz, I think, was the tallest. I fought him a couple of times. Ten, I think. And Boogie, you know, three or four times, I can't remember. Uh, uh, remember, Grenier was a big man. Skurlak was a big man. I... I'm, I'm a smaller guy. I mean, I'm 6'3 right now. Without working out, I'm 210 if I'm lucky. You know, and these guys were, I mean, obviously I played a lot bigger and whatnot, but these guys are, uh, these guys are in a different league size-wise. You know, I had to, I had to be over-aggressive. I had to be extremely accurate. And I had to beat them with volume. You know, a lot of times I had to touch them more than they, they hit me, you know, and do you, cleaner and straighter. <laughs> do you think so, that your, you know, your training in MMA and off seasons and your involvement in boxing and everything, like the learning of how to throw up, to throw a proper punch helped you with your longevity in your career? Because if you're just throwing shit, you can break your hand very, I, if, if, if you've never been in a fist fight, I don't think people understand that like, you can break your hand very easily on someone's face. Like if you're not throwing proper punches and hitting, you're not doing you know, right. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. You, I mean, it, obviously it helps out a ton, you know. But I mean, once you get to that top level, there's even there's guys that throw ugly punches that are able to be successful because it works for their style. Yeah, you see some of that in MMA with striking too. You know, it works for their weight or their size. You know, um, I, I kind of switch back and forth between a lot of a few different styles. Um, but everybody, you know, everybody at the end of the day, that broken my neck and I had lost, I had a bunch of injuries that I had to, I sort of formulate a new way to do things at one point. Um, and then got back to my basics at the end of my career kind of thing. I went through a bit of a, a rough pass with fighting after I broke my neck. Um, Did you break so, your neck hitting the board? No, 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 no. I was in a fight with David Kochi, actually. I, uh, I, I hit him and he fell and I, I um, he held on to my jersey and, uh, just split and then I had nerve damage and it was crazy um, and then yeah I, I messed my neck up really bad twice I had crazy surgery on that and then the next my first four fights back were like Kip Brennan Martin Grenier Roger God damn God damn <laughs> Jesus yeah, dude I came back way too early and just got the fucking just got death row <laughs> through the gauntlet on my first four fights back 
dude, your fucking your fight card's fucking death row, dude. It's a, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, this, this. I mean, I, I I prided myself on on you know obviously not backing down, but then being hungry to go after you know after the big fights and want to make a name for myself. Wanted to wanted to show I could play a little bit too, but that was always secondary. So well, you did it, man. I mean, you absolutely did it. You know, huge period at the end of it for sure. I mean. You fought the best, you beat some of the best, and you played, I mean, forever. And you scored points, dude. You were, I mean, and what... A couple coaches believed in me. A couple coaches believed that I could be used as something besides that. And, and, you know, I was a big benefit to those. Those are all playoff teams that I played. They weren't like shitty last place teams. I mean, these were playoff teams with guys, you know, obviously mostly in the East Coast League. But, uh, you know, I got a half-trick in the American League. I did some... I had some, I had some good, yeah, I had a good season offensively with Albany. Um, you know, I had some, I had some points up on the board on some of these teams, but the coaches believed that I could do more than just, just be like, you know, out there doing that. The problem was is that it, it worked against me because I was trying to score goals, and it's not a half-time job. If you're an enforcer, you're intimidating when you don't have the puck. So my focus was trying to show I had skill worked against me because I should have been. Instead of scoring, trying to fucking kill guys with hits and shit. Right. And that would have made me a lot more. That's why they called Cam Jansen up uh, when we were playing on the same team together. I mean, he was just such a good hitter, so good away from the puck, and he was a good fighter, you know. So um, it was the right decision, too, by, <laughs> by Albany. He was more deserving and younger at the time, so... Um, I love. I call him Showtime. I love that guy. He's a great dude. Oh, I've had him. I've had the. You know, been fortunate enough to have him on the show. I fucking love that guy too, oh, man. Cool. He he's a oh, wild dude, Showtime. man. <laughs> I think the first thing we talked about is him chasing fucking tornadoes. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about, man? <laughs> yeah, he's retarded. I love him. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what's awesome is you know guys like Cam Cam Jansen and Daryl Bootlin and you know several other guys I've you know been fortunate to have on the show. They all go. Fucking Mike Scroy, man! You got it. You got to get Mike Scroy on here. Then, so you, you, you know, in the eyes of those guys, you're the shit too. So that's got to be, you know, something to hang, you know, another hat on. It is. I have a lot. I got a lot of respect from from my peers for the stuff I did. Even though, to be honest with you, some of the stuff and the way that I behaved back then is a little embarrassing to me now that I'm I've grown up a little bit. Not not saying it's bad or not saying I changed anything, you know. But um, I'm definitely glad that. Cause I, I could have been tougher. <laughs> I could have been tougher. I could have been, even though I was, I could have been a little bit mentally more tough. I could have been, you know, we always do that to ourselves. Yeah, you know, yeah. You know, I'm a competitive human. I, I really don't look backwards. I, I do that thing where, hey, it wouldn't have been, it wouldn't have been real, you know, if I had a done this or stayed home more, whatever, it wouldn't have been me. I wouldn't have been able to do it. So, well, but, it's it's all decisions in hindsight too. Like I don't. I don't like to look back either, but you know, there's certain things where I'm like, well, fuck, if I did that, I could have went there. But you have to enjoy the journey and where it's brought you, and 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 enjoy today for what it is. And you, I mean, you wouldn't be like you said, you wouldn't be Mike Scroy if you hadn't done them things. And it it, it it's all part well, of the well, coach calls me the biggest over underachiever he's ever met. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's cool to be like that. And who knows, dude? Who knows? And who knows, dude? This could be this next chapter too, where in ten years I got a fucking kid on here talking about, you know, Coach Segroy, who 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 taught him this shit, and you know, dude, I got I got some of the best players in the country right now. This is I've already been to the UFC with one of my heavyweights. I mean, we got the lineup. This is definitely what I was. I hate saying this shit, but it's definitely what I was meant to do. Like this is I hate saying that, but truly. It's truly, I'm probably going to be a better coach than I ever was a player. I'm just way better at it. Sometimes you so, got to be cheesy, dude, learning. you know? Sometimes you have to be cheesy with what you say. Coming, they, they absorb what I say. The, Fuck yeah. It's crazy. Like, they absorb it, which is it's amazing. I don't, 
mixture between the kids and then you know my lack of maturity actually plays a big part in how they're <laughs> so, <laughs> I can relate to them in my 40s still <laughs> well and the, and the fucking the, the proof's in the pudding too dude you can go listen I did this and this is what happened like you know and I think what's interesting about your career you know is you know playing for almost 30 professional teams but I think it's not like you're getting traded as a third line, you know, guy who's supposed to score, who can't score. You're going to teams who want you. So I don't think a, the term like a journeyman works for you because, and this is was as I was sitting there, like, no, just, you know what I mean? <laughs> What's that? I said suitcase works better. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, expendable commodity is what I used to call myself, the expendable commodity. So I, I would get the city, and honestly, some coaches were fucked up for trading me in March. Like, fuck you guys, man. I fought for you for a couple of years. I don't give a shit. That's a joke. Um, and then some coaches, uh, you know, just, you know I, was, I was a shithead when I was younger. Man. I was when in my early 20s. I was an arrogant shithead. So some of that stuff I deserved. And I don't know if you'd have wanted me in the locker room at 21 on a playoff run. <laughs> you know, but certainly 26, 27, 28, I started figuring out at least how to be a better team guy. I still made some mistakes. And then... Real close to 30, 28 when I really, now Myra is when I really found some good leadership. I had a buddy of mine, Nathan Lutz, that was there. Um, uh, uh, Marty, uh, my coach, uh, he was, you know, between the two of them, we, <laughs> we had some, uh, it was interesting, there was interesting leadership, but it was a, a huge learning, huge learning experience for me playing, playing with those guys. It, you know, Lutz, I think, has five rings in five different leagues. Yeah. Um, one of, my, one of the best captains I ever played for. So, so did you ever take it personally getting traded? I mean, I know, I know, the way your brain works. You're you you're. It's always that goal. It was the goal to you know get to the show. So was it just another a step for you? Couple another times. page? I took it real personal. I, I I've never really been able to. You know, Kevin Colley kind of screwed me over really bad one time, and uh, there's a couple of little little things that that have stuck in my brain. Um, you know, but at the end of the day, uh, I, I'm such, even now. I'm so I'm so like onto the ne- not onto the next like that onto the next. But like I just think in front of me. I just always have. If I get traded and I'm pissed off, I'll be pissed off for a little bit, and then my brain will just go right to all right. Let's fucking kill it in this next place or what? You know, that's where my my energy will be spent. I've always been like that. Well, that's why I love that fucking quote. You know, that I opened the show with, like. You know, I fear it's. I'm afraid of losing. It's. I'm. I'm that same. I'm. I fucking hate losing, dude. Anything. I. I just do not enjoy it. It's so much. It's so much fun to listen to people that don't know about fucking fighting or competition talk about like people being scared. You know, in fights or you know this this whole thing. This is a fucking stigma. Like being scared and then cowering are two different things. Like being scared fucking helps you. It puts you in a puts. You Let's you know some real shit is about to happen and uh-huh. focuses your brain. If you're in the wild and all of a sudden you think you're going to get fucking killed by a predator, you're going to wake the fuck up. Your eyes are going to get bigger. Your senses are going to hone in. That's the same shit that happens during the fight. It's mastering your fear that the fucking key is. All the crazy, there's a couple of crazy dudes that had some longevity, but not very many. They're either flash in the pan and they're totally uncontrollable. So conquering your fear, and honestly, a lot of guys are scared fucking shitless, but they conquer their fear. When it hits, when the fear comes, they conquer it. And same thing with Army guys and Navy guys. Same shit. They don't want guys with no fear. They want guys that can conquer it. Those yes. are the toughest guys in the world. Yeah, because if you have no fear, it's almost delusional. You're an idiot. Yeah, you're, you're crazy. You're absolutely crazy. And you might be in there. you got to respect that. you got to respect fucking crazy guys. El Kikui. you got to watch yourself. But um, at the end of the day, when you when you take out a career long career, it's just that that's not it's not the way to be successful. That, that, that you might win a fight or two, some big boy fights you can win because you're wild, but um, but eventually you'll have to pay the piper for it. Well, I think it can control their fear, and learn how to master it. Now, now they've mastered it. Now we can just do that. We know when when that belly starts feeling you know, a little butterflyish, we're gonna lock it down because we we've been here before. Yeah, you know, buddy, gives you a lot of confidence feeling that. It makes you a dangerous man if you can fucking over. Like you said, there's a difference between fear and cowardice. And yep. you know, I listen to uh, Michael Bisping's podcast, and he he says all he's like, you know, p- 
puked before every fight or almost pissed his pants. And he's like, but once I get in there and get it going, he's like, okay, I've been here before. Settle in. Boom. Like, okay, I fight. I'm a fighter. This is. I know, I know so well. I know myself so well, and that's one of the reasons I can be happy about talking about it. Because some people are still out there with shit to prove, and I'm like, I know I got it if I need it right now, but I can smell it on other people. I, I'm really good at that. So, and then, and sometimes that can give you an edge. So if I know somebody's scared and they're posturing with a lot of talk, or you know, just their antics key me off. It works really good in poker too. So I got, I can smell fear on people. It's just a little thing. I, you know, I know there's kind of a broad stroke there but um i just i'm good if i smell it on somebody then i can use it against them um and that might give me a little bit of an edge that's why i was such a, uh, a big personality because if i smell if i smell that fear on somebody i was going to try to i was going to try to get in their head or work with them because i knew what that felt like i was scared too <laughs> i just knew how to deal with it better well, that's that's a tool too, is not being afraid to use your fear against somebody. Like like you said, you know, you being cerebral and being able to, and that's got to come from your fucking family's lawyers and bankers and shit. I mean, you just you got the brain, but <laughs> oh, you also yeah. got the fist. Yeah, we you know, some tough people. We got some tough people in our family, just just in a different way. Like, yeah, mentally, it's uh, you know, it's it's, and again, it might not be worth anything. But again, I'm always looking for that extra edge to, to get up on guys, you know? So it's willing to do what the next guy is not willing to do, you know, especially in a job like fighting, you know, especially if you're doing it all the time and for decades, you know? So. Well, absolutely, man. It's like, you know, the, the guy who could take the, you know, the injured horse out and take care of it. I mean, it not, not everybody wants to do it, but the guy who can do it and, you know, move on with it is a dangerous guy. Yeah, no doubt about that, man. And, you know, I, that's what I, I fucking I love about, you know, being able to do this show and talk to guys like yourself because, you know, I, I get inspiration from watching, you know, your Instagram and, you know, following your post career here just as much as I did awesome. watching you fight and play, man, because. That's a huge compliment, man. Thank you. You know what I mean? You could, you know, you could do whatever you want, but you're choosing to work with kids and, you know, I, I, I really dig it, man. You, you got your camp that you do and. I love that you've got this fucking killer instinct focus and you're using it for the good of other people. I really dig that, man. Yeah, I'm, I'm lucky in that way. Um, and that's, you know, that's another reason, you know, we talked about earlier, but that's that's another reason why guys get themselves a little screwed up at the end because you're used to fighting for your life or being put in these incredibly stressful situations multiple times in a week and then all of a sudden gone. That's why a lot of people turn into drugs, so they just, they, can't, they don't understand, like, life as, it's not just professional sports and then going to real life. It's being ready to fight three times a week for fucking 10, 15 years, and then all of a sudden, you know, you're working at a fucking bank or something, or, you know, coaching the team, and it's a tough day. It was tough for me, too, and I love doing this shit. Right. I had a couple of years that were rocky as fuck, so I, again, I understand, I understand a lot of that, you know, why I'm doing I'm doing all right right now. I've got I've got somewhere to put that same fire to join. A lot of guys don't. A lot of guys just can't find that thing after hockey to sort of latch on with that passion. A lot of things that make you successful as a fighter make you incredibly unsuccessful as a human. So um, it's a constant battle on you know after your career on what's uh, what's the right mindset. So. Do you have any uh, former uh, you know players reach out to you because they see you doing okay and kind of go, hey man, is, do you have any kind of ideas of what's going on? And I don't, you don't need to name na- names or anything like that. But have you reached out to anybody maybe who you've seen who's struggling and been like, hey dude, you could do this, you could do that because you no, seem like an inspirational you know, guy. No one's really reached out to me, you know, like that. But I do have my own, you know, own network of guys, you know, that are fighters that have, you know, that have been recently been retired and my friends that I played with. You know, and, and I keep in contact with all of them. And uh, the guys that are my closest friends, I mean, we're, we're always talking about stuff. I'm, my, my door is always open. I got a, I have a small circle, not a small circle. I got a medium sized circle. Um, but my door is always open for them. And you know, I really haven't had any just random people contact me. But I, and like when I was in that same situation, they did the. You know, some of them were still playing when I was retired, and, and some of them were there. You know, Trevor Gillies being one of the big ones. He's one of my best friends. He's going to be one of the best men at my wedding this year. Um, oh, you're getting you know, married? When Congratulations. Was, when I was, yeah, yeah. Well, 
it got canceled because of COVID, but well, hopefully we'll get it going here when this shit gets over. But, um, you know, when I, I, I had a rough time, got involved with, you know, some, some shitty situations when I was first retired. It took me about two and a half years to sort of stop drowning. Uh, and Gills was there for me on a, a daily basis for a lot of that time, you know, just listening to me, not even fucking giving me advice or anything, just listening and, you know, and maybe helping him. Hopefully, maybe in that time helps him. You know, right now he's just retired, so he's killing it as well. So oh, I fucking love Trevor Gillies, man. He's the shit. Too. So yeah, yeah. It's, it's, the fighters have a small knit community, man. But if any of the member did reach out to me, I'll fucking have my ear. You know, my door open to anybody to listen to talk or to give advice or whatever they needed. So. Well, hell yeah, man. So, I mean, if you heard it, guys. If there's anybody struggling out there, hit up Mike, man. He's a fucking inspirational guy. And, uh, you know, I... I got a lot of knowledge on that. I'm actually to that transition through fighting to, to real life. I, got a, I have a lot of knowledge on it. Well, it's good that you're using it. You know, instead of letting it go to waste, it's good that you're using it. And, you know, because I see... I mean, I, I follow you. I see your Instagram. you got young kids in there playing hockey, man. And... There, I mean, there's a few of them kids that look like little freaks, dude. Yeah, I got uh, a kid by name is Sebastian Sanfilippo. He's it's he's 13 years old, and he's just, I mean, it's just ridiculous. It literally is ridiculous. He's what five nine, 170 pounds, and he's an athlete though, and he's, he's it's ridiculous. I mean, I've had him since he was eight. No, maybe sorry, not eight. Since he was five or six years old, I've been working with him maybe three days a week. I mean, the fucker lives here now. <laughs> you know, I love Michael. I love Michael, little brother. But he's he's going places. He's going places. And then uh, Peyton Thompson. I mean, I, I've never seen a, a girl. She's fourteen years old. I've never seen a girl that good. I just haven't. So I really, I really want to see it when she goes to the U.S. team. I really want to see what happens there because I think she's one of the best players in the country. Is she and trying out for him right now? What's that? Is she trying out for the U.S. women's team? She's playing for the now. She's playing for the select academy right now. She's 14 years old and she's I think she's in the top few scores on her team at the U16 level Damn. and that's one of the top girl programs for prep schools so um, I don't know I'm trying to keep up with all the you know all this 06s 04s national team state team yeah uh, it, 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 it's exhausting um, and I got I got a ton of other kids here that are you know high level double AA, AAA players I got this other kid <laughs> his name is his name is Nikki Friesen. Um, I've never, I've never seen anything like this kid in my life. He's, he's 16 years old. I'm sorry, six years old. He just turned seven. Uh, I've never seen a talent like that. Uh, Diesel Bearhouse, great Bearhouse son. He's nine, same age as my kid. Uh, my my son is a very very good hockey player. He just turned nine. He's five foot tall. He, he's very good. Diesel is twice as good as Vincent. And this Nikki kid is better than Diesel when he was a kid. Wow. I shot the natural ability of this kid. He's already made AAA, uh, the AAA teams in Minnesota, the Selects Minnesota, the New England. I mean, I know it's only, you know, you're seven years old, but it's the best in the country. Wow. He's going, the dad is taking him to all the, all the hubs, Wisconsin, Minnesota, and he's trying out for the top teams there, and he's beating, beating them in scoring. And he's a Florida boy? Well, he could very well be the best seven-year-old in the country. Wow. <laughs> so... And he's yep. a he's a Florida boy. He's a Florida boy, yeah, man. So it's uh, and, and again, I got a bunch of other kids. Again, we talked about development being different in different years. I got a ton of kids who are coming into their own. They're, they're getting that testosterone, passion, you know, uh, filling their veins here and there. You know, fourteen, fifteen years old, and they're turning. You know, some of them are developing and now getting hungry, and they're turning the corner. So, um, and that's that's just the hockey players. That's, do you, I've got another 15 stories like that with the fighters right now. It's not them. Hell yeah, uh, man. Very exciting time in my life. So. Do they know who you are? Like as yeah, a hockey player or, you know, as a fighter? Do they, are they like aware of your career or are you just Coach Mike? Yeah, yeah, yeah no, everybody knows. Everybody knows. I'm active on Instagram, but, you know, based in the viral world, right? So like, you know, 10 year olds are looking me up and shit. Like, oh, <laughs> brother, you know, it's not well, shit, this morning it was me, my four-year-old daughter, my two-year-old daughter, and my one-year-old son watching Mike's Roar Fights this morning, just eating fucking <laughs> eggs and bacon, dude. <laughs> just firing up the morning. And I'll tell you, my I, my daughter, Francesca, the two-year-old, she's got that, that I, I call it kill blood, man. She's got something in her where 
I think she could be something special too. Obviously, she's only two, and I'm her dad. But I, I see something in her that, that, that she's different yeah, than my other three kids. Parent, she's different. All you got to do is, is, lay the, is, is lay the foundation, give them the path. That we're going to be, you know, we're your dad. So yeah. At some point, they're not listening to you. Ah, no. <laughs> no. He's not. He's like, fuck off, dad. I know more than you about hockey and everything. So it's fine. So I'm like, okay. You're gonna have to find somebody else to coach him. And I mean, I'm obviously gonna. I come very closely. You know, tied in with my son and, and, and coaching is on top of everything I do. I, I just played on three teams this year, so I tried to do what I can for that as well. So it's. Uh, you said he's yeah, nine. Busy, but uh, what's that? You said he's nine. Yeah, I just turned nine. So. So my nine. He's, uh, he's got some. Again, I'm his dad, but and I put him on Facebook all the time. He's got some extraordinary skills tied in with it. He's huge. His mom was six foot one, so he's uh, he's a huge boy. Nice. My oldest is nine too, but he doesn't give a shit about hockey, and I, I don't, I'm not going to push it on a man. You know, I wouldn't have liked it if I was his age. I, I'd tell him like, "Hey, if you want to learn anything, you want to go out. The rest of us, we're going out to play. You know, you're going to come outside, but you don't have to shoot." Yep. And I, yep. you know, because I I don't want to be over, but it kills me a little bit too. Do you ever? I'm like, God damn it! Like you just want them to at some point be like you, but they're not going to be. You know what I mean? Well, again, you don't know because I was the sweetest nicest young boy just happy and then 13 hit and shit got real different so dude careful what you wish for <laughs> dude we were the same in that my aspect man you, careful what you fucking wish for <laughs> <laughs> my mom used to say everybody needs a William and now you know I bet if once I turned 13 she's like fuck this kid he has lost it <laughs> and I was wild man and it was like one day I was just like man fuck everybody like and I say that to my wife all the time I'm like this guy could flip this this kid because he. I mean, he it is in him. We we share DNA. You know what I mean? Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's yeah. You you might be you might be right. I might be eating them words here in like four years. I'll be ca- I'll be calling you. He's coming down with you for the summer, dude. Hold on one second. No problem, bud. I gotta get rocking pretty soon. You gotta get going. Yeah, in about five minutes, I gotta take my. Hey, no problem, man. No problem, man. Hey, I I appreciate your time, man, and uh, you know you're gonna have to come back on because I got a whole other uh, you know series of questions to ask you, bud. And uh, you know, I again, thanks for playing and laying yourself out on the line and being a badass like you are, man, and 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 for helping young kids and and learning this great game that we love and and in fighting too, man. Um, just let everybody know where they can find you on the on the internets and all that good shit. Absolutely, man. Appreciate that. Thank you very much, man. Well, where are you? You're on Instagram and Facebook. Both. Yeah. Sorry, both. I'm on both. Yeah. And I got uh, scorecontactandskills.com for some of the. uh, I'm doing contact clinics. That's like my. my, uh, I think that's going to be where the future takes me. Good. uh, Because there's nobody teaching that properly. Yep. Uh, Shit. I wish I had known half of the stuff when I actually played. I'm just sort of identifying little things. Um, But there's. There's just a lack of that. Even at early ages, people aren't even, people are teaching contact at, uh, you know, the first year going into Bantam. I mean, my 13-year-old, it was his first year this year in Bantam, and he's been hitting with my midgets for two years. So how do you think that went? Well, so and- I, that, that's what you got to do to get these kids prepared. And I think there's a big hunger and a big, uh, um, a big uh, you know, there's a lot of people looking to do that for their kids. There's not there's not a lot of outlets for people that know how to teach properly. So, you're, you're right, um, man, and I think. Um, that's where I'm going with it. And I think a guy who you shared a jersey with and Ryan Reeves has said it recently, he's like, you know, this is going to come back. He's like, and if it takes me running a guy, you know, or some someone, a star player is going to get hit and enforcing is going to come back. And he's he's guaranteeing I it. I agree. I can't. I, that, did he say that? Cause that's like Fuck yeah, he did. Time I've ever heard anyone else say that. He said he's 100% in agreement. He said it might be him. He's around because we put it in there as like, like in addition to a fucking bakery, you know, you know, like an ingredient. It's around because it's necessary. There's so many little assholes running around uh-huh. and they're affecting the top players on the team. Uh-huh. So it's just a matter of time before some six foot six guys come in and take care of business. And even if they get suspended, so be it. They're guys that get pushed around again. It'll make a comeback. Well, look at Cassie and it was before, but it'll make a comeback. Oh, I guarantee it. He said it. I mean, look, you can find on YouTube. He said he's like, even if it takes me taking McDavid out, he's like, this shit, it will come back. He's like this. This job is not gone. He's like you. You watch. All it takes is one time for a star player. Guys are the guy you want to call for it. Just 
top guys in the fucking team are going to be the ones calling for it, and that's when it's going to happen. Uh-huh. And some guy who's an absolute stud is going to get lit up. He's going to go to the GM and go, you better fucking get somebody here for me because I'm not putting up with that shit every fucking night. Well, look and at hopefully that's how it starts. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look at Kachuk doing. Thought he could do whatever he wanted until Cassian taught him a lesson this year and said, "Listen, guy, this is you can't just brat your way around. Like, there's still guys like me here." Yeah. The fact that there was even any dispute that what Cassian did was wrong is what's wrong with the fucking NHL. You're damn right, dude. <laughs> You're damn right, man. The fact that there's even anybody that opens their mouth in his defense, but thank God he answered the bell eventually. Hopefully yeah. his dad smacked him around and said, buddy, let's get you yep. fucking take your lump. Don't, don't taint our Thank fucking God last name, dude. <laughs> At least- oh, yeah. I got to run, though, bud. I got to run. All right. Hey, thanks a lot, <laughs> Mike. I appreciate <laughs> it, man. Um, all right. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate it. But I got to rock and roll. All right. Have a good one, bud. Okay. Take it easy, man. Later. Bye-bye. How many bucks do I give?